Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Uh, Nick, I got a question for you. Um, when I entered grad school for psychology, I had a lot of ideas about the profession of psychology or, or being a psychologist. Um, that I'd probably gathered from, you know, talking to one or two of them, talking to some faculty here and there, from TV, from all sorts of other ideas or, or, or other sources rather than an actual psychologist. And slowly through graduate school, through residency, through postdoc, and now for working for quite a while, I'm realizing that some of those initial ideas I had about our profession are, are, um, humorous to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's way too intriguing. You have to tell me what, (laughs) what do you, what do you have in mind? (laughs) Um, but I'll, I'll share mine first, but I, I am curious. Did you have some opinions about, or some ideas about what you'd be doing or, or what you would know as a psychologist or be experiencing as a psychologist that, now, years later, you're going, wow, I was, I was off yes. about that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I'll go <laughs> a first. Lot. I'll go first. I can <laughs> this, see you this reluctant. Could be a, this could be a four hour episode. <laughs> it could really could. <laughs> one of, <laughs> one of the things I thought would happen would be, I would get a, a, a real firsthand look behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz style, you know? Curtain I, of what? I thought. The secrets of human behavior and kind of an all-knowing magic would be given to me through the process of my education. Wow. I really thought that at the end of my (laughs) doctoral studies, nothing would surprise me about humans. And I would be just able to dial in on everybody's motivation and issue within mere seconds, you know? I really yeah, thought you'd be like the Terminator where there, there's that, that like overlay of your vision that gives you like a readout of everything that's going on and can tell you what's happening. And yeah. Yes, Nick. Okay. That's exactly <laughs> <laughs> that. I mean, you're not too far off. Are you saying that is not actually the case now? <sighs> Are you saying there's actually just a funny little old man behind the curtain? I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to admit that I don't have the secrets of the universe and have there be a recording of that for my kids to. Okay. Uh, n- n- no, yeah, I didn't get the look behind the curtain, you know? And in fact, what it, what seemed to happen a lot of the time is um, we spend a lot of the time trying to explain the curtain, it seems like. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay, wait, you're going to have to explain that. I think I know what you mean, but... Um, human beings and, and are just so complex, and the the number of variables that impact their behavior thinking... Um, processes are just so complex that there is no one kind of key to understanding humans, right? There's, there's some great theories out there. And so when I say we, we spend a lot of time examining the curtain, um, we don't get a firsthand look inside your mind, so to speak. You know, we're working with behaviors and we're working with what your perceptions are and we're working with what your thoughts are about things and 
um, your history that we don't have a firsthand look at, right? I, I don't, I don't get to, um, jump in a time machine and actually see what was really happening. I, I get what your perception of what was happening is built on. So, so I feel like we're kind of still, you know, on the other side of the curtain, um, and we're doing our best to understand what the landscape of what's behind it is uh, at times, but we don't have that real genuine, um, understanding of it sometimes. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and what would, do you have a specific thing that like, like a, a trick you thought you were going to be able to like, <laughs> like a Jedi mind trick you thought you were going to be able to employ that turns yeah, out? Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you, if you watch any movie where there's a psychologist or a psychiatrist involved within 20 seconds of meeting someone, they know so much about that person and what their motivations are. I mean, think <laughs> this is a really funny example, but think of Hannibal Lecter meeting oh, um, yeah. Starling for the first time. Yeah. Like he he has his back to her, I think, and he can tell like where her accent is from, what region of West Virginia I think it was. And, you know, he, I mean, he is like Sherlock Holmes, for someone's brain. Yeah, right. And I thought that's what I that's would be. That's what you're going to be able to do. Yeah. I'm going to be Sherlock Holmes mm. for human brains. Gotcha. And I'm pretty dang good, but I'm nowhere near Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock so, Holmes. devil's advocate, maybe yes. this isn't a problem with our profession. Maybe it's just a problem with you, Dr. Sewell. Because <laughs> you feel like you're <laughs> you're dialed in. <laughs> uh, this suggests you've met other fellow psychologists and psychiatrists who are, let's say less than impressive in terms of what they know about uh, behind the curtain things. There, there are a number of psychologists I've met that help me to encourage my clients and other people in the public to doctor shop a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very carefully worded (laughs) statement of something. (laughs) Yes. I'm a, I'm a strong believer that you should, interview to some extent test drive your therapist yeah or the or the one that you pick should be among one or two that you've talked to yeah. at least the implication being because it's it's our field as a whole just doesn't really have nearly as many secrets as uh, people like to think or that that some people believe in secrets that are totally misguided and ineffectual in therapy. I mean, I do know a lot about behaviorism and about reward punishment. I I do, I do know how to predict human behavior probably better than the, the lay person. Um, but man, I don't have any secrets that would, that would, um, that would necessarily make me some kind of um, magician when it comes to helping people. It's just not as um, as easy, I think, as I thought it would be. You thought when you graduated with a PhD and you put that funny looking gown on that like those were your magician cloaks and there was, once you walked off the stage, they were going to hand you the wand. No, I really, that. I really felt basically like by the time I got to that stage, Oh, your first semester in grad school, they'd, they'd show you all the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, you know, 
Yeah, and and as as you progress through grad school, you're kind of constantly interacting with professors and other professionals, and you're realizing like they don't they don't know what's they going don't on know either, all the tricks either, <laughs> and. And and then, I mean, what you're studying is fascinating, and you are learning all sorts of things about behavior change and about um, emotional well-being and health and, and how these things interplay. But as, as far as the, like, solutions to human suffering, hmm. not really, you know? <laughs> not really. It's hilarious because uh, clearly, like, some people think that that is actually the case. Yeah, well, I think, that, you know, we've alluded to this when we meet people and they they assume that you're analyzing them right away and that you have some window into their mind. Yeah, you have the Terminator readout. And, like... Yeah, and they get uncomfortable <laughs> being around you, you know, because they, they assume that you've got the Terminator readout <laughs> and can see every weakness they have. And uh, I, I mean, I think we're better at it maybe than than most, but I don't, I don't... It's not saying much. Man, I'm just not... I really thought by now I'd be kind of a genie, you know, mm. <laughs> I'm not. Okay. So this is related to the first thing that I thought of in response to this question. Um, I guess I assumed that going into my field, it would be the, the distribution of therapist quality would be relatively even or like normally distributed. And what that means is, most people are kind of like average, slightly below, slightly above average. Like most therapists are, you know, they're pretty good. Um, there's a few who are pretty terrible and a few who are amazing. But most people are, on average, you know, fairly good. And I, having, um, I would say over the last handful of years, um, being you know, a professional out actually working um, and getting to know other therapists and hearing from my clients about their experiences in, in therapy previously, um, I feel like things are way more polarized than that, way less evenly distributed. So that the most... Uh, like it, a bimodal distribution. Yeah, but a really um, skewed one. In yeah. other words, like my impression is that there are a handful of really good therapists out there and a lot that are like pretty below average. <laughs> yeah. Um, or at least just not all that helpful um, or, or well-versed. Okay. And, and the more I think about this, um, the more I think it's related to another problem with our field, which is that I think we are way too generalized. So if you just look up, if you go on... Um, psychology today and you you know find a therapist they have like a find a therapist database where you can just plug in your zip code and it'll show you all these therapists and they have little profiles like a social media profile kind of that shows a picture and shows what insurance they take and where they went to school and but it also will show you a list of their specialties right right <clears throat> you you would have a hard time finding a psychologist on psychology today that has fewer than like 12 specialties really <laughs> It, everybody, people list everything from like anxiety, depression, eating disorders, PTSD, bipolar disorder, addiction, like just the whole right. laundry list. The gamut. Yeah, which is just bonkers. I mean, what would you think if you went to a doctor's office and your doctor, your medical doctor, claimed to be a 
cardiologist and an oncologist and a dermatologist and an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, like, right. you, you'd be like, what? No. You do all of those things no. really well? <laughs> Certainly not. <Yeah. laughs> right. Um, and so I think one of the reasons why I think our, we don't have a higher proportion of um, very competent professionals in our field, and I know that's kind of a radical claim, but I, in my experience and in my client's experience, that is true. I think a really big part of that is we, our profession encourages everybody to generalize, to be kind of a jack of all trades, but unfortunately, not even close to a master of one or mm-hmm. even a handful. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just no way you can be an above average therapist at treating depression if you're spreading all your energy over also treating anxiety and treating eating disorders and treating bipolar disorder and treating insomnia and treating PTSD and treating. And granted, a lot of these things have some characteristics in common, but it, it's, it seems to me like more and more as I, one of the things I'm learning about my profession is that that is a major, major weakness um, in our field. I'm not saying there isn't some place for generalists or people who are broadly trained. Um, but man, if I, you know, when people come to me and they want a re- recommendation for, hey, I need a therapist to help, you know, my son with their, you know, panic attacks, w- probably the first thing out of my mouth is going to be, you make sure you find someone who really knows what they're doing when it comes to panic attacks. Every right. therapist under the sun is going to tell you they treat anxiety. Right. One percent of them are going to be really exceptional and really understand how panic works and are going to be good at helping. And that that is that is so unfortunate. I think that that's the way our profession is. Yeah, I think you're right. I think. Um... Yeah, I was trying to think of what would I describe as my specialties. Um, and I would just have two. I mean, I I can treat a couple other things. and I, I feel pretty confident in doing that. But two of those things I'm really confident yeah. in, you know, like. What are your two? Trauma and depression. Yeah. I would say. And my, I, I treat, I mean, panic and insomnia are the just, that's 95% of yeah. what I do. Yeah. Even so much that when we get referrals, I, I think I definitely look for, like, which of these people am I going to be able to help, you know, the most, you know? Right. Um, and yeah, because and, I know I mean, you do a lot of anxiety, I'm like, I'm going to leave those for Nick. Like, that's his bread and butter. And it's, but I, and I think it's, it's not just about us. It's about, it's about our clients, right? Like, it's borderline unethical. unethical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take someone and claim to be a professional if you really are not if you really only have just a very modest amount of training or expertise in well, something I think it's training expertise and also what you feel confident and, and good at you know like um i really enjoy treating trauma and depression like those, those are my favorites you know I, I enjoy those sessions a lot and so you know if someone you know says that they need help with insomnia i mean not only am I not as well versed in those things and not as confident, it, that isn't interesting to me, you know. And and I'm not trying to, you know, invalidate anybody's experience with insomnia. It must be awful, but it's not. You you want a therapist who's really interested in and um, excited to work with you, you know? Yeah. Would you would you would you want a 
a, a heart surgeon who's like, oh, you know, the heart is kind of interesting. And like, I, I do heart surgery every once in a while. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, more, I'm way more passionate about, right. you know, hands. I really surgery, prefer but, the liver, you know. You know? I'll do that. But sure, I'll do some heart surgery. Yeah, so I try to stay away from those cases, you know, where I'm like, oh, that's not my cup of tea. Or like, that's not, I'm not really interested in that, you know. That'd be awful, I think, to sit across from someone and get that impression. Yeah. And that, I have noticed that in some psychologists, you know, CVs or something, they'll list like this, this pretty, pretty broad, numerous specialties. And I'm like, wow, really? Because what that implies, too, is that you're keeping up with the latest trends and all those things. Oh my gosh. You're reading those journals. The latest research and the latest, like, yeah, interventions. Like and that's what you're an expert in? Like, you're reading those things I all the time? I can barely keep up adequately with my two, yeah, I feel like. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Okay, so what's so we seem to kind of agree on this, but obviously a lot of people would not agree. What's the what's the counter argument to this? What do, I mean, what do you I think? mean, the fact of the matter is, um, a lot of training programs are they follow that generalist model, right? But what's the rationale for that? I think it's so that you're capable of helping a wider range of, of people. You know, I, I think I really think that's the idea that they want you to be well versed in a variety of disorders and, and to be able to offer help to lots of people. And, and I think there's a case to be made for those. You know, I think, you know, if you're going to move to an obscure, you know, or, or a, a remote area of Alaska or, or something, that's probably a good thing that you know enough about a lot of things to be able to help some people that, you know, if you move out there and you're really just good at one thing, like, eh, I can, I can see, a case being made for generalist training, but do but apply that to medicine, like would, I mean I guess maybe that's maybe it's just a historical thing. Like for a long time, that's how medicine was. You had like a general practitioner who kind of did who knew a little bit about everything. And yeah, yeah. They could deliver a baby and set a broken bone and yeah, um, do some stitches and and I guess and so, that handles ninety percent of what you got to see, but. Um, we'll, we'll think about the first people to show up on an, uh, an accident. They're not doctors. They're paramedics. Yeah. They, they know enough to triage and to kind of get you stable. And then they're going to get you to an expert who can really work on what right. you, what you need. And, but I, I feel like that's the thing with our field. We don't really have experts. Well, I think we do. I think, unfortunately we just have a lot of people claiming to be experts in too many things, but I, but you I think I, we do. How, but how can you become an expert? I mean, I feel like it's very, I had to fight and it's like, it's sort of like you're going against the grain in our profession. If you just want to focus, focus on, on yeah. one or two things. Well, I know, I know my interest in trauma, um, was concerning for some faculty members. You know, I was on every trauma team. I, you know, I, I picked a, an, um, an internship program that was trauma focused and, and, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think, I think a case could be made I think for it, what for general training, but what's the proportion? Like if you, yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, like, I mean, everybody can't be, just should think, be a general. I think yeah. about myself. I think like, man, if I was really struggling with depression, yeah, maybe like I meet once or twice with someone who's kind of a generalist who says, oh yeah, you need to go over here and see this guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I agree. But like, if you don't have that, that next step, 
Like that's where, that's the meat and potatoes. Like, yeah, you need someone in the emergency room to say like, oh yeah, you just had a heart attack. You need to go to cardiology. cardiology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't have the cardiology part. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but I think those people, you know, in the ER, they have to know a lot about a lot of things. You know, they, they have to be generals there at the ER probably. Because if you're, if you're a cardiologist and you're sent to the ER, and someone has is having an aneurysm, like that. You know, I don't. I don't know. They have to know enough about a lot of things to be able to do their job well. I think. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, but I, but I think you're right. There should be a proportion of like, okay, you know, we do need generalists, but there we we also offer a lot of specialist training in these areas. And if you want to specialize, you know, I mean, most doctors. Um, I think there's a part of medical school where they take exams to say, I am going to specialize in. X, Y, and Z, you know, mm-hmm. X, you know, really just X, you know, I'm going to go into well, your, your whole resident. I mean, half of your medical training yeah. is in a specialty. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at least a lot of people do more and more people are doing fellowships afterwards. Right. Um, but some people don't, some people do general practitioner. That's know? pretty rare though. I feel like it's, especially it's increasingly rare too. I mean, as the world gets more and more connected, you, there's more and more, it's more and more important to and doable to have specialists. But wait, you want your family doctor to be knowledgeable enough about a variety of things probably to, because that's going to be the first point of intervention, right? You're going to go to no, your No, but more doctor. and more, like you can, it's, you can go right to a specialist. Like you have, you know, if, I don't know, if, if I'm having like heart palpitations all the time, like I'm, why would I go to my GP? I go straight to cardiology. Okay. Right? I, I don't know. It, it just, well, and you might be right if you know what the problem is. What if you don't know? Well, if your heart's wigging out. Yeah, I mean, of that course. That might be a you, problem that's a little bit more clear. But it, let's say you're just having really bad stomach aches. Yeah, of course. You, Frequently. You, I'm like, not saying you don't need some generalists. Right, but right. more and more, we are really moving to specialization and it it concerns me that our profession does not seem to be going along with that trend about that yeah i think that's very concerning i also think it's a big part of why our efficacy rates and effectiveness rates in our research are not very good no i agree because you get these generalists who are treat you know like i don't know well i think that's when you see results that are you know from a study that are like you know we had you know on we had a team of people trained in this specific thing versus you, you had know, a first year grad student yeah. who went to two one hour <laughs> yeah. seminars yeah. on how to deliver some protocol. Yeah. That's what happened. You're like, I think I know why you have differences in your, <laughs> yeah, come on. That's different than like for 10 years, I've been done. immersed in the research yeah. and practicing this particular, oh, you know, totally. t- I like, agree. I mean, whew. I agree. I, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I think we do need generalists, but I think we do need probably a lot of more specialists than we do currently have. Yeah. So you thought, let me bring this back around. You thought you would get more focused training in certain areas and then. No, not necessarily. I, I unfortunately didn't really think much about that until I got into grad school. And then I realized like, Hey, wait, wait a second. What's going on here? <laughs> like this, this doesn't seem right. But that really came. I, I the, the thing that surprised me was that, I, I expected that on average, most shrinks out there would be pretty good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just don't, I don't think that's the case. And I think that's 
largely a function of a lack of specialization in training and in practice. See, I, I think a little bit differently. I think a lot of strings out there are good at something. But the, the, I, I agree with you. They're probably spreading themselves too thin across a lot of... How can you stay good at something if you're constantly spreading yourself thin? Well, no, I think they're probably much more... Uh, you know, they're training, let's say, their internship or whatever. They allow them to focus on one thing, and they do that really well. Then they leave their training, and they, they keep up their skills in that area. I mean, they're pretty sharp in that, and that's their interest. When they go to a conference, they're probably looking into those things. But, yeah, on psychology today they've listed a lot of other things and so and they're spending their time working with true all sorts may, of maybe maybe they're not as good as they even could be within their specialty but i don't know i've met a lot of psychologists that i can always say like wow they seem to be really good at that yeah i don't i, I just think <laughs> it really does a disservice to our clients that, that we as a profession have this romantic idea that we're all going to be this like really insightful generalists who re- just understand the fundamental mechanics behind everything. And we can, we can treat everybody really well. Yeah, and it's like, just not true. it's such garbage. It's not true. Like, it, yeah. You know, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think people should be much more honest about their specialties or lack of specialty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's not uncommon that I meet someone and say, well, I'm not the guy, you know, I mean, I want you, to, I want to see you get well. Yeah. And, oh, I, I frequently turn people away in the first yeah, phone call. Yeah, because it's clear to me that it's, it's just not a good. This is outside your scope. I can't really or, help people with. Yeah, no, I think that's a much more ethical way to handle the situation, a- especially than listing twelve things that you feel like you're really good at treating. Like that's right. probably not but, true. But see, I think the bigger point is that this is a it's a it's a systemic, it's a structural problem. It's the way our field thinks about itself needs to change. Yeah, like the training model needs to change well and we need to be honest about something like i i see i see certain disorders listed on people's expertise that there are no empirically supported treatments for Hmm. that bothers me (laughs) you know i'm an expert in treating this and i would say you know i think as a field we've decided we're not good at treating that you know so that kind of bothers me and there there are some really common disorders that we really don't have anything, anything for. for, but yet people will say, I treat that. And I'm right. That kind of, no, you talk to people about that, but <laughs> yeah. Or, or you, you manage something around that, but you're not treating that. Right. You know, yeah. That's a, that's a problematic. Yeah. All right. All right. End well, of I, rant. <laughs> I thought I'd get the key to the universe. Nick thought that he would, uh, you still don't know what I think. Yeah. I'm, your Terminator readout is really not functioning well. A lot of static. You've just wandered all over the map today. So you thought what? That that most psychologists would be pretty good at treating just about anything. But as you went on, you realized, whoa, actually, the distribution of good therapists is not what I thought it was. Largely a as a function of, of our attitude towards specialization and, and how we're trained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you learned there's a lot of kind of lackluster therapists and a handful of really good ones. Yes. Okay. And I think that largely is discriminated by how specialized are they. Gotcha. Fair enough. See, I knew what your deal was. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of hate mail after this episode. You're going to get a lot of hate mail. <laughs> That's true. Yours was... <laughs> Mine was diplomatic. Hey, everyone. Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. 
please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks. Thanks.